to episode 17 of Long Hair Do Care. I'm your host, Georgie Corkery, pronouns she or her hers, also happy to go by they, them, theirs. This podcast is all about queer intersectional eco-feminist topics. Before we get in today's topic, I wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping. This podcast has been a weekly podcast, but it is now going to be a monthly podcast because I'm in charge and I don't have a lot of time because now I'm in grad school. I have learned a lot doing these past several podcasts. Mostly I've learned not to interrupt people when I get really excited. As I have been editing these podcasts, that's the number one thing that makes me cringe. So if it's made you cringe, know that you're not alone and that I am taking note <laughs> and doing my best. This week's podcast is for the week of August 29th. 2021, the last week of August, which means I did skip the past two weeks. But again, I make the rules and I'm running out of time. So today's topic is microplastics and my special guest is Macy Gustavus. Macy is a Utah State University master student with me. She's she's a master student like me in the Department of Watershed Sciences. Welcome, Macy. Hi, Georgie. Thanks for having me. My name, again, is Macy, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. Well, I'm so excited to have you on. Macy, the other day, gave a speech on microplastics to our cohort. I, I learned more from it than I thought I would. I came into that being like, oh, I know about plastics. <laughs> I have studied plastics a little bit in my undergrad, and I know friends that like recycle, and <laughs> <laughs> I was a snob, and I learned a bunch of stuff, so I thought you'd be a great guest to have come on. Yeah, awesome. Great to hear <laughs> that you learned, and hopefully we can reiterate some of that today. Yeah. Before we jump in, of course, we have to talk about cats, wildlife, Tesla, and conscious content consumption. For cats, I just wanted to reiterate the reason why I talk about the amount of cats that I have interacted with and my guests have interacted with. And when I say interacted with, I mean like pet, not just see, because I see a lot of cats, but only some of them let me pet them per episode, I think, for cat calling and hypocriticism, because I'm a hypocrite, I cat call cats. I talk about cats because they're so cute and thinking and seeing cute things, it makes you happy. So Macy, if you want to start off by telling us the cats that you've interacted with this week or any other cute creature. Okay. Well, I don't usually get to interact with cats, but this has been a very special week. Oh. Fitting because I'm on Georgie's <laughs> podcast. Um, this week, I got to pet two cats. Um, the first one is actually a cat I'm watching while their owner is out of town. Its name is Jumper, and she Ooh. is a barn cat. Very cute, gray, fluffy, somewhat cuddly, sometimes <laughs> angry. Um, and then the second cat I interacted with is only cuddly. The most Ooh. wonderful, sweetest cat in the world. Her name is Cashew, and it's one of my friend's roommate's cats. So I don't get to see her all of the time, but when I do, it's a treat. Uh, so been a good cat week for me. I've seen a few. Yeah, Jumper and Cashew. Yeah. I think those are fabulous names. I've never heard them before for cats. So yeah, good, good job, names. owners. I, too, have interacted with two cats. They're cats that I interact with a lot. I've talked about them a lot on this podcast. Their human is Beck Burkett, who was in uh, the episode about bisexuality, and it's Moira and Data. 
They're very cute. They're sisters. They're calico, or at least one of them is. And they they're long hair. They're great. I like them. Except for the fact that I know one of them kills birds. Oh, not so exciting. Not so exciting. <laughs> I love birds. Birds are very important to me. And arguably everybody. So stop killing birds, Data or Moira. I think it's Data. Um, speaking of birds, wildlife this week. Have you seen any wildlife, Macy? No wildlife, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, I saw some turkeys. Mm, but I think that counts. I, I guess that counts, but nothing like a moose. Nothing yeah. really exciting. Oh, um, wild turkeys, I presume? Yes, wild turkeys, just in time for Thanksgiving. They're still out there running around, mm-hmm. hopefully. They don't get caught before the season. Yeah. So, yeah. I saw a few deer. No wild okay. turkeys, but I do, you know, I see them every once in a while. And I love mm-hmm. hearing them. I'm always like, I think I hear like, a dying dog. And then I get closer to them and it's turkeys. It's a turkey. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what their groups are called. Are they, do you know? Like a gaggle sure. or a cluster? Something funny. Yeah. I want to say to be. a flock, but I think that it's something. It has to be something like a gurgly, I don't know. Yeah. A gurgle of turkeys. I'm not sure. I'll look it up and maybe add it in later. <laughs> and then Teslas. I assume you didn't count how many Teslas you saw. Count my Teslas. Okay. Um, unfortunately. <laughs> well, for the last week of August 2021, I saw 134 Teslas in one week. Um, wow. I feel like the amount of Teslas I have seen in Salt Lake just it keeps increasing, increasing which i don't know what that's saying about salt lake probably things that everyone already knows that it's becoming more affluent and maybe more progressive but maybe just more affluent hard to say what i maybe should start doing in the future is counting charging stations but <laughs> good point i i do have a question how do you keep track of your Tesla? <laughs> that is so impressive i would just look right past them, honestly. <laughs> At first, I was just, like, keeping track in my head. I've always really enjoyed memory games. And so having to remember, you know, that I saw 40 or 50 Teslas in one week was pretty easy. And it was pretty fun. And it's similar to birding. I think, Mm. because there are people who are obsessed with birds and they just count them and they observe them and they know what type they are and what color and all this stuff. Yeah. I love watching birders, not necessarily watching birds. So I do, again, think birds are great, but hanging out with birders, I think, is far more interesting than just going out by myself to watch birds. And so the enthusiasm that they have in watching birds, I feel like I genuinely have in looking for Teslas. Wow. And it's like, I'll be able to recognize one from so far away. Wow. And I'll be like, that's a Tesla. And all That's so fun. <laughs> all my friends are like, how do you know? A good party trick. Yeah. <laughs> I have counted excellent Teslas this week. Yeah. And people are just like, why in the hell are you counting Teslas? And I'm like, well, I have a podcast. No big deal humble brag but <laughs> so i was doing it just off the top of my head and then i actually bought a clicker because there's too many yeah. yeah um i went to california and there was over 200 teslas so in a week and so i bought a clicker now i still gonna do a little bit of the memory game because i keep the clicker in my car and so days that i don't go into my car as a grad student, you know, just walk up to campus, walk back, Easy. don't really drive anywhere. Yeah. I count a few of them and I get to keep track of them. Then I go and in I my go car and, the and they'll like satisfying, like click and add to them. That's so. fun. I love that. Yeah. You should start keeping color statistics. <laughs> Do a study on your own about them. I know. 
like renewable energy transportation. Yeah. See, yeah. Um, really yeah. I guess I'm just doing a small version of that. What can I say? I'm a scientist. <laughs> but that'll again to be uh, by month instead of by week. So we'll see how that changes. It'll probably be less exciting. But in Logan, there are fewer. And Logan is where Utah State University is and where Macy and I are both master students. For those who have no idea, um, what inc- or where Logan is. <laughs> yeah, it's in Utah. Granted, most of the listeners, cause I get to see the stats. This is tangential completely. But because I get to see the stats of where people listen to my podcast, there's one person from Frankfurt. Uh, I think it's Frankfurt in Germany wow. who's listened to a number of my podcasts. Reaching. Yeah. So, and then a, like three downloads have been in the Netherlands where half of my family lives. Um, and I'm like, there should be more family, but it's okay. <laughs> um, so whoever's in Germany listening to this, you should find me on Instagram, long hair do care podcast. And tell me who you are. I'm so curious. <laughs> who are you? <laughs> and why are you downloading? Like, why are you listening? I'm so interested in knowing what intrigues you about A this huge podcast. huge Georgie fan in Germany. <laughs> yeah. <so> cool. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so moving on to conscious content consumption. Did you have anything that you wanted to share? Man, I never watch TV or any sort of Netflix series, but recently finished Sex Education. Oh, Um, okay. It's a great series. I had watched seasons, gosh, was that season two? That might have been season two. I don't even know what season (laughs) I was watching. That's how often I don't watch TV. Um, I recently finished whatever season just came out, so I think that's pretty conscious content. They do a great job with a lot of sensitive, I guess, topics okay. um, for most people. So what is sex education about? It's about teenagers? Yes. And sex education, I guess? So it's so sex education actually is a show about the lack of sex education in the UK. and oh, the UK. Yes. And it's a UK-based show. And they go through a high school. There's a storyline to it, but pretty much they're addressing, we don't talk about these things in public, and yeah. we should. It's really important to educate our youth on yeah. just sex education in general. Absolutely. Um, and knowing who you are and what your identity is, and it is super great. I think it hits on all of those topics in a very digestible, fun way, and it's a super funny show. I'm curious, do you think that this show would be good for actual high schoolers to watch? That's a great question. I do think that it makes it a very like approachable conversation between families, maybe. Maybe okay. not your younger children, or <laughs> probably like PG-13 and above. So yeah, for PG-13 and above, I think it's a great resource. They don't touch on a ton of actual sex education. It's just like a broad overview of topics. Yeah. So yeah, I think it might be great for, if not late, high stage high schoolers, maybe early aged college students who never yeah. got that education. That's great. I often think about how a lot of my mental health and maybe physical health, well, not not so much physical health, but definitely my mental health and development could have been changed if there was kind of like a funny, palpable thing that addressed sex as the weird, fun like fleshly thing that it is instead of like oh sex is this thing with boobs and pounding it's like no it's 
Yeah. So many things. And we're not going to talk about it because it's weird. Why would we talk about yeah. it? Yeah. That is so untrue. And I think <laughs> the show really brings that to the forefront and is kind of like, hey, this yeah. is a normal thing. You shouldn't <laughs> be afraid of it. And it's really great to know who you are and what you like. And there's good ways to be healthy about it. There's ways yeah. to be safe. You should educate people on being safe rather than abstinence. And the show is really great at that. So I've enjoyed it. I think it's a great That's good. series. I'll, I'll have to watch it. I know my friend Neo, who also has been on the podcast. Shout out to Neo. He has watched it. And he liked it. It, in a way, makes me think of Big Mouth. I haven't seen it. Yeah. I don't like adult <laughs> cartoons. For some reason, they freak me out and give me nightmares, yeah. but I hear it's good. But you have another conscious content consumption item to share? Yeah. So I actually just finished up. Have you heard of Braiding Sweetgrass? I just bought that book. It's the book club book for, I think, some in- the Inclusion Center or s- I saw that. something. Yeah. So I just bought it. Granted, I bought a number of books and I started a different one instead. Yes. So <laughs> many books. I have like 10 on deck um, <laughs> that I just happened to listen to an audiobook while I'm doing work for my research project. It has been really great to listen to. It talks about how science and indigenous knowledge can merge to do something bigger and better. And like we have people in our country that know so much about all of the natural processes and why don't we use that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Robin Wall Kimmerer is really great. And I think she does a great job at talking about her culture and growing up maybe away from her culture and coming back to it and progressing through her scientific career as also identifying as like a native person. So really great, really great book. Will you say the author's name again? Robin Wall Kemmer? Robin Wall Kemmer. Okay. Yes. And that's braiding sweet grass. Yep. One thing that I've been discussing more in my classes and a little bit around braiding sweetgrass. I'm, I can see it right now. I'm looking at it. Um, oh, over there. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's in the room. Is that this combining of tribal knowledge and science, it can make something more, but a lot of the times in the past, tribal knowledge or indigenous knowledge has been cast aside as like, well, that can't be scientific, which is bogus. If it's not in an Excel spreadsheet, what does it mean? Yeah. And that is so wrong. Absolutely. If somebody has been in the same place year after year, season after season, and they know how things work, they know what animals are coming through, they know when is a good time to either plant a crop or harvest a crop or anything. That is knowledge. That is science. So generational uh, it's been around for so long and mm-hmm. in, in a way is an experiment it's like how are things changing yeah with our ever so changing world so yeah i think it's a really great display of that kind of knowledge and she merges it so beautifully it's not like reading a really dry scientific yeah. article it paints a picture in your mind and a lot of the stuff she talks about is just absolutely beautiful. Uh. Um, She talks about goldenrods and asters and why they grow together. So goldenrod being yellow and asters being like a purple color. And both being plants for people who don't know. Yes, sorry about that. (laughs) Why are they together usually in a field? And she makes this vivid picture and description so it's not boring. I think a lot of science now, unfortunately, is pretty boring at times. But we have people who are making it interesting, which is really awesome. And might I say, a lot of those people are either people who identify as female, 
or non-binary or people of color. And mm -hmm. they know how to make science beautiful. They know how to bring the knowledge of maybe art or poetry into science, which is incredible. There's a number of books that I love that do that. I've talked about Terry Tempest Williams books and Jennifer Ackerman. She wrote The Bird Way oh, and yes, The Genius that. of Birds. Yes. It's beautiful. So I'm so excited to read Braiding Sweetgrass. <laughs> and maybe it'll have to come back on after I finish it and need to just spout out all the quotes that I loved. The conscious content consumption I wanted to share for this month is This is Love, a podcast with Phoebe Judge as host and co-creator. Phoebe Judge is also the host of Criminal, a popular true crime podcast. So if you are familiar with and you like Criminal, you should totally check out This is Love. But instead of crime, this series investigates love according to its website, which I absolutely love. The first season launched back in February 2018 on Valentine's Day, which I think is very fitting, and now there are six seasons. It is a heartwarming and wholesome podcast that tries to decode the mysteries of how our romances, obsessions, and relationships drive us. Listening to it can feel like a contact tie, and that last part was a quote from maybe the New York Times, I don't remember. I really liked season two. It features similar offbeat stories to the other seasons, but does not center on traditional romance and couples, but a number of different human and animal or human and nature experiences. Two of my favorite episodes includes episode 19, A True Love Story Among Wolves in Yellowstone, which was what got me hooked on This Is Love, and then episode 31, titled Something Large and Wild, and then the description of it is, for anyone who might feel a little lost, which I think is all of us. I could be wrong, but at some point we all feel a little lost. And this is about an open water swimmer who encounters a baby orca, and I'll leave it at that. That's all I have to say about it. Check it out. I'm pretty sure you can listen to it on any podcast streaming service. So, moving on. Let's jump into our topic now, which again, folks, is microplastics. Macy, if you wouldn't mind just jumping in and telling us what microplastics are and then what you're doing around microplastics. Yeah, great. Microplastics. Let's go ahead and start with what are these things? <laughs> My partner, Josh, shout out, actually made a really great analogy. Let's say you have a plan to make cookies. You put sugar, butter, flour, and eggs in a bowl and you mix that up. You bake the cookie. That cookie is going to break into crumbs probably all over your house as you're walking around munching <laughs> on it, but it's never going to break back down into butter, sugar, flour, eggs. So that's kind of the same way plastics degrade. Mm -hmm. So you have a larger plastic product and that is never going to really break back down into your key components. It's only going to break down into smaller and smaller pieces. That's just the nature of them. I could go into structure and everything. <laughs> but I think for our purposes, that's like a really great way to describe microplastics. Yeah. Um, I want to throw in there, um, I do love the analogy also because I do eat cookies while I walk around the house. And, yeah, um, and they make a mess. <laughs> and they make a mess. They get in the carpet and then I have to vacuum. But unlike cookies, plastic doesn't biodegrade. It doesn't change mushrooms and 
all those microorganisms can't break it down into something different, right? Whereas a cookie, you know, if you throw that in the dirt, eventually it'll turn into something else. Yeah, it'll Um, reassimilate into the soil. Yeah. Maybe into your carpet and people (laughs) eat it in there. Hopefully you don't have a lot of things in your carpet. People (laughs) eat your cookie crumbs. Yeah. But yeah, plastic doesn't ever go away. It just stays in those smaller pieces. Just gets smaller and smaller. Smaller and smaller and smaller. And you might be thinking like, wow, so they just get smaller and smaller. Is there a point that they're just gone? Do they matter to us anymore? And microplastics and even nanoplastics exist ubiquitously. So So they are all over the earth and they are just never really going to go away. Tell me, how small is a microplastic? And you introduced the term nanoplastic. How small is a nanoplastic? Microplastics fall anywhere between one micron and five millimeters. So to help you picture that a little bit, five millimeters is about the tip of a pencil eraser. Oh, okay. The diameter of that is about five millimeters. And then when you get down to the micron range, about eight microns is a red blood cell. So oh, that's itty bitty. Out there, smaller than that. So they can just swim around our body with blood cells potentially. Potentially. Yes. <laughs> um, and just another reference point: the visual limit is about forty microns. So a lot of microplastics you can't actually see with the naked eye. You do need a microscope for. Okay. And nanoplastics. So that is anything under one micron. Those are so small that we can't even see them on a microscope. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're really hard to detect. There's no. So how do you detect them? We're working on it. Science (laughs) is trying really hard to figure out how to do that. And I think there will be breakthroughs in the next few years just because there's a lot of concentration on that topic. But for right now, it's it's tough to say. It's okay. trial and error. What can we see? And how can we see it? So that's where the yeah. science is, learning yeah. about nanoplastics and then potentially the ramifications of having them, which you, I believe, work on looking at the ramifications of microplastics. Is that right? Tell, yes. tell us what you do yeah. for your so research. So my research for my MS thesis is looking at how microplastics are transported in the environment. If you think of the water cycle, microplastics are traveling through the earth similar to that cycle. They're in the atmosphere, they're in rivers, all over. They're Um, in living organisms, including us. Absolutely. (laughs) They are absolutely everywhere. There's really no place on earth, unfortunately, that are untouched by these particles. My research is looking at a local river we have here, the Logan River, and how microplastic concentrations and fluxes change from the top headwaters, stream areas, through urban areas, and on their way to the Great Salt Lake, which is a terminal basin. So how are plastics settling there? Um, Yeah, That's not something I've thought about, and Great Salt Lake is something that I think about all the time, time. if not every single day. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really important ecosystem, and what does the plastic concentration look like in there, and how are they getting there? Is Is this river a really big avenue for plastics to make it into the lake? Is it from city dust? There's a lot of different ways that plastic can end up in there. So what are you finding in your research? Are you finding the sources of where it comes from? Is that more the question? Or are you looking at what happens to it once it's in that waterway? 
So I'm trying to isolate the different sources of microplastics okay. to the Logan and Bear River system. Are they coming from urban areas? In more remote areas, are we seeing microplastics that are possibly coming from recreation or atmospheric mm. deposition? In agricultural areas, is there a spike of plastics because of the fertilizers we put on the fields? Ooh, can yeah. I give my hypothesis and then Absolutely. you can be like, no, or yes, I don't know yet. And, do. <laughs> well, one, I definitely bet it's from urban areas, right? It has to be. I don't know if car tires, rubber is like made out of plastic, but all that wear and tear and then that runoff from cars, that has to contribute to it. Granted, I don't know if that's plastic. Is that plastic? Yes. Okay. My <laughs> is actually, I have three main research questions okay. and I will just talk about the hypotheses on those. So my first hypothesis is that in remote areas where are plastics coming from and with that i think mostly atmospheric deposition and plastics can travel globally or from local urban centers to more remote areas and i think the bear rivers might be getting a lot of atmospheric deposition from surrounding cities here really quick define atmospheric deposition for people who might not know yeah there are wind streams that carry dust plastics, all sorts of different compounds and physical yeah. beings. Smaller pieces of things, right? Yes, Travel around, around the world or even not necessarily around the world, but from your city to the top of a mountain mm. nearby. Which people in Salt Lake would be familiar with because every once in a while we'll get a gust of wind coming from the lake and you'll smell it. And then we also get the dust, which is bad for us to breathe in. Yes, absolutely. So it's kind of the same thing. Eventually the wind slows down or it rains and those particles will fall on the landscape somewhere. Back to hypothesis number one, those particles fall from the sky and end up in the surrounding area. Even though they're relatively remote, there's not a lot of human activity, there will still be plastics there. So I think hmm. some of the plastics will be coming from the surrounding landscape and ending up in the water. And then a lot of it is also from recreation. For those of you who are not familiar with the Bear Rivers, we have a lot of skiing, a lot of snowmobiling. Oh. We get a yeah, lot I didn't of think about from that. When you said recreation, I was thinking like people in their kayaks, but no, we're talking winter recreation on the snow before snow melts into water and then goes into the river. Yeah. And mm. then even plastics from hiking. If you wear any sort of plastic or polyester based clothing that sheds from you while you're walking and ends <laughs> up in the water eventually. Which is basically everything that we wear from our boots to our watches and our clothes and our backpack. Yeah, everything. Ugh. So there's a lot of different ways that plastics can end up even in more remote areas. To address the tire question before I <laughs> lose that completely, tires are plastic. And when you stop with your car, so if you hit the brakes really hard, those tire particles are Just suspended woof. up into the air. Yeah. And those really easily travel in the global wind patterns, local wind patterns. Hmm. So cars are actually huge input to microplastics in remote and urban areas, huh. just a huge source. I guess I did think about the wear from tires before, but not necessarily as a large source of microplastics. I wonder, 
if in the future they'll try to solve that problem. But I don't right now see any what solution. Yeah. Yeah. For a lot of these things, it's like, how do you fix that? Yeah. We've used tires forever. Mm-hmm. It's hard to really imagine something replacing that. They're so durable and yeah. they are like resilient and I don't know, you drive thousands of miles on them and they're still completely intact, Mm -hmm. except for these tiny, tiny little plastics that are (laughs) flying away. So yeah. And then cars in general just carry a lot of plastics. So you have like your bumper or if you have paint on your car and that might have plastics in it for texturing, that can come off. So cars are just a generally large microplastic source. All right. Yeah. And I guess really the only solution is to maybe replace cars with other things, not necessarily buses, but public transportation of sorts, which we're all trying to address that one as we go. That's a whole different topic. (laughs) So many avenues we can go down (laughs) here. Um, So so you had your first hypothesis of where it's coming from in less urban areas, more remote. And your second hypothesis is looking at what is the largest source of microplastics to the Logan and Bear River system. And this is honestly true of many river systems, it's going to be an urban area. Yeah. You just have a really high concentrations of cars and cars are really huge in urban centers. So you're going to get a lot of plastic from that. And then just people existing, your everyday people litter, unfortunately, even if it isn't on purpose, people yeah. accidentally lose plastic out of their car or forget a plastic bottle on top of their car and drive away. Mm-hmm. Or they're um, sitting outside and a gust of wind comes by and just blows whatever stuff you have at your picnic yeah yeah so a lot of plastic gets into the environment and that breaks down into those tiny tiny pieces and a huge source of microplastics is actually laundry so you wash your clothes a lot of your clothes are some sort of plastic polymer those break down into tiny tiny pieces and either it goes out with the wastewater or if you put your clothes in the dryer a lot of houses have you ever seen those tubes that go out of your house and it's like the dryer and sometimes lint comes out. I haven't. I know that there's the lint, like you can remove lint. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes some houses, I don't know if it's like an older thing, they have tubes that lead outside and it's some sort of vent. I don't know if it's I guess for cooling. My, my parents' house, they have a vent that goes outside, but there's also a place where you remove the lint. The lint tramp. Yeah. yeah. So it goes both ways sometimes. I think generally dryers have a lint trap, which is great. Yep. <laughs> but some of that goes through that vent and gets blown right out into the environment from your house and that's plastics easily being suspended into the wind. And they're hot when they go out. I've walked past a few of them and Sometimes they smell pretty good. I yeah, won't lie. I, <laughs> I was like, hmm, fresh clothes. Do it laundry. Yeah. Smells yeah. great. So unfortunately those are also suspending plastics just right up into Ugh. the surrounding environment or even farther. So there's lots of places that plastics can come from, essentially. I remember when you were giving your talk about microplastics, you mentioned something that people put on their washing machines that catch The microplastics? It had a weird name. Yeah, so somebody actually brought that up, and it's funny because there have been updates in between last week and today. Oh. Um, There are a lot of 
filter systems out there. I always wondered if it was greenwashing. Microplastics are small. It's hard to catch a majority of them. And a lot of these products were claiming we can fix the microplastic problem. This is great. Buy our stuff. There was actually a recent study that came out about products like the Guppy Bag. Guppy Bag. Yes, that's the name of that thing. Which is a filter <laughs> that goes, you can install it semi-permanently on your washer. Like the back end of the washer? Yeah, as the water goes out to the wastewater plant and it collects all of those plastics. I do not have one. I don't know 100% how it works. But the study said that they are pretty effective. I don't have a percentage in mind, but huh. I remember being very shocked because I thought, wow, I really didn't think <laughs> worked that well. I guess my next question is, who conducted the study? Was I... it the guppy bag people or was it another grad student somewhere yeah, else? <laughs> I was really curious about that too. And it seemed like somebody from a university oh. who had no affiliation okay. with any of those products. There's a lot of those products um, yeah. And I think it would be pretty easy to pinpoint if they're supporting any one product because yeah. there's a lot of different, we can do this, we can remove the microplastics from the water. And I think if they had pinpointed on a specific mechanism and kind of downsided the other mechanisms, yeah. it seemed like a neutral study. I do want to go back and really like look at it again. Yeah. I am a big fan of looking who, <laughs> who published things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check your sources, everybody. Before we jump into your third hypothesis, you mentioned greenwashing, and that made me think of biodegradable plastics or biodegradable plates and cups and stuff and how those are marketed. I know just from an experiment I did back when I worked with a compost pile, I put one of those plastic quote-unquote compostable cups in and nothing happened to it other than I like spiked it with my pitchfork a few times. Yeah, <laughs> so unfortunately... Biodegradable plastic is not the knight in shiny armor that mm. we had all hoped for. I was really excited about it when I first heard about it. It is actually another form of plastic polymer. So most of the plastics we get today are made out of oil or natural gas byproducts. These products are actually made out of agricultural byproducts. So like leftover okay. ethanol, corn, methane, whatever. Just because they were made out of this leftover product from agriculture doesn't mean that it's a completely <laughs> different polymer. Yeah, it's not going to compost. What plastic polymers were. Okay. There is a way that those can be quote-unquote composted. They are a little bit easier to break down. I haven't looked into it enough to know whether it's a micro... Like, they're breaking down into microplastics and they're just like, we can't see them anymore. It doesn't yeah. matter. Or, or into, into nanoplastics and they're like, see ya! Yeah, or into that original <laughs> plastic component, like those building blocks. But they can be quote-unquote composted or biodegraded in yeah. industrial compost facilities. Okay. Which who knows what those are and where they're at. <laughs> yeah. What I wanted to get out of that is basically if you read that a plastic is compostable or biodegradable, it's bullshit. Don't buy it just because of that. I would say avoid buying plastics altogether, but that's kind of how we'll wrap up this episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, but greenwashing, it's a huge thing. And I don't believe there is any standard or 
federal regulation on how compostable or biodegradable can be used and marketed for different products. Yeah, I agree. And something you actually have said in past episodes that I completely agree with, I don't know everything. (laughs) Research and you see that biodegradable plastics are truly great or you find a brand let me know. I'd love to hear it. We would all love to hear it. That'd yeah. be really great. Something that we could put back into the environment and have it successfully be recycled into and- other nutrients for different types of organisms. But I don't think it's that way based on the research I've done. Well, let's jump into the third hypothesis you have. And then I want to go to the consequences of plastic in our environment and our bodies. Yeah. So the third hypothesis is pretty much looking at our plastics in wilderness areas coming from the surrounding environment. So are they coming off of the hiking trails or the ski hill areas? Or are they being resuspended from sediments already integrated into the river bottom? Okay. There will be a lot of math with that part of my thesis, and I haven't really gotten too far into it yet, so can't speak much to it, but I do think we are seeing a lot of stuff coming off of the catchment from atmospheric deposition and recreation. Yeah. To summarize your hypotheses, and also maybe your questions, you think that a majority of plastics microplastics, of course, are coming from urban areas, and then also from atmospheric deposition, just raining down on us, and then also from activities in the wilderness where folks are wearing plastic. And not only folks, sometimes dogs, which I think is delightful except for the microplastic part. Is that correct? Is that a good summary? Yes, and dogs do look really cute. (laughs) Oh, they look so cute, and they like carry their own little water cup, and oh, (laughs) I I love it. (laughs) Not that bad for the environment, but also not that good for the environment. Anyway. (laughs) So let's get to the consequences of microplastics being in the environment, and as I said, our bodies, which is something I am pretty terrified of. Yeah. So I, again, not an expert. I am a huge toxicology fan. (laughs) I hope that toxicology is in my future. Toxicology, for those of you who don't know, is the study of how our bodies interact with chemicals or outside components, products. Can't think of a good word for that. I'm trying to think of an outside influences. Yeah, yeah, because it's less of a natural thing. It's kind of just looking at Our body's reaction to different products, let's just say that. Yeah. It's an easy way to put it. Or different chemicals, toxins, tox ecology. Yeah. Yeah. So how our body breaks those down and how we live with them, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So I do love toxicology and Mm -hmm. I have taken many classes. My degree from undergrad was in public health and I focused a lot on toxicology. Oh, interesting. So I can talk quite a bit to the toxicological side of things, but I am not currently on my way to be an expert in that. I'm mostly (laughs) looking at plastic transport in the environment. Okay. But I can talk to it. So microplastics, they do. They get in our bodies. There is a statistic out there that we ingest and inhale. So both of those things combined 
put about a credit card's worth of microplastics in our body each week. Whoa, really? Yeah. I thought I was like, she's going to say year. She's going to say year. No, it's every week. <laughs> oh, that's oh, so scary. So scary. <laughs> but that's just an average. That is an average, and that's an overestimate. So another okay. study kind of just followed that up and said, a credit card's a lot. That's a lot of plastic. Yeah. It and might be more towards half for your average person. And if you really like seafood then you're probably eating more oh. towards that credit card side okay. of things. And this is maybe an average for Americans, do you know? Or I'm not sure. All right. I'm going to assume it's for, yeah, I'm going to say Americans. In my brain, um, that makes sense. It does make a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's alarming. So you said the way that we get microplastics into our system is through inhaling them and through ingesting them. Do you mean eating and which has a greater influence on the amount of plastics, microplastics coming into our body, inhaling or ingesting? Yeah. So that's really a statistic. I'm not quite sure about it. I think there are an equal amount of ways that you can inhale plastics as you can eat plastics. I would err towards the side of saying we ingest plastics more often because in the kitchen, you're inevitably going to have plastic contact with your food. So whether your food is plastic or packaged in plastic or you are cooking with plastic utensils, those can break down and get into your food over time. So that's a way you could be introducing plastics to your diet. <laughs> or you might even get, if you do the best you can and all of your food is packaged in glass or metal, you might even get microplastics shutting off of your clothes and into your food. Going into the food. Oh, that's so interesting. I have been told a lot to not microwave your food in plastic Tupperware containers. I, I got rid of all my plastic Tupperware because I got scared. Uh, Macy just did a like hurrah oh, no! movement. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I've always been terrified of like when you warm it up, do microplastics then get in your food that way or, or what's going on there? Why is that such a scary thing? Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of plastics are supposedly food stable. So you should be able to store your food in them and technically cook your food in them per the health guidelines from above. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's why we have plastic spatulas and uh, yeah. the nonstick it's Tupperwares. It's sold all the time everywhere, and it's a really cheap, great way to store your food and reduce waste. But unfortunately, when you do heat plastics up, plastics aren't fully formed. So you have a hmm. Tupperware container. When you heat that up, you're kind of reenacting that setting process that it goes through to become that product. Okay. And in that way, you are allowing some of the chemicals that are in plastics. So whether it be the plastic polymer itself, so a fossil fuel based product or the additives in plastic, including dyes, flame retardants, heavy metals, some of that might... Heavy metals? Heavy metals. Ah, like, this is scary. Yeah, some like, black plastics often have very, very low. I'm not saying freak out today. If you have black <laughs> plastic in your kitchen, do get rid of it. Some black plastics do have like low levels of lead. And oh when my you gosh. heat those products up, some of those components are able to leach into your food. Ah, uh, they leach. 
Yeah, so they kind of come apart and like it's nothing you'll ever see, but you know if you microwave something for a little bit too long and it gets soft and it smells and yes, it kind of warps. That is the perfect time to get <laughs> chemical leachate into your food. Oh, that's um, so scary. So something to be mindful of. Oh, uh, you say don't freak out. I've already freaked out. <laughs> um, <laughs> that makes me also think of plastic water bottles. Whenever I drink water from them and I try Try not to because, you know, I try to be my snooty environmentalist self and not drink from them. Yeah, I have my water bottle all the time. But when I do drink from those quote-unquote disposable plastic water bottles, they taste like plastic. And I was told that's because in the shipping process of having these water bottles go across the country or wherever they're coming from, whatever Mm -hmm. bottling plant, they can get really hot. And so the temperature goes up and then the plastic's warm. And then I guess it leaches, the plastics leach into the water and then it cools back down and you put it in your little mini fridge and then you drink it and you're drinking microplastics. Yeah. Or not even necessarily microplastics, but also that leachate. There can be a little bit of microplastic breakdown at that point, but plastics are resilient. That's why we use them, right? I actually think plastics are really important, super big step for mankind in areas where metals aren't pliable enough or glass might break. Plastic can really step in. And in medical settings, it's really great for sterility. It's reduced disease. I think there are many great things about plastic, but then there are also (laughs) things like heating up your one-use water bottles and tasting that leachate when you get your fresh, quote-unquote, fresh spring water from them. (laughs) So where we really come into trouble is those single-use plastics. That's a good segue into talking about how we can reduce our ingestion of plastics and our overall use of plastics, because like you said, they are useful, but it would be great if society was set up in a way where we're using plastics in only the useful settings and not in the settings where it is adding this large amount of pollution to our environment. So do you have some tips you can share with folks to clean up their kitchen or generally use less plastics? Yeah, absolutely. I think the kitchen is a great place to start. You're having a direct interaction with plastic all the time in there. I'm not saying go throw it all out today. (laughs) Ah, scary. I do think that it's good to phase it out over time and maybe air towards glass or metal containers. But if you have it, don't waste it. I'm a big fan of not wasting things we already have and have already made. Actually, Jamaica mentioned in the Hello Bulk episode of (laughs) Long Hair Do Care that recycling isn't as effective as people really thought it was. Only 9% of plastics ever made have been recycled. So it's important that we don't waste what we have already created. Yeah. And if you have plastic Tupperware containers, and especially if you don't have the money to switch out to glass right now, because as a grad student, I didn't have (laughs) the money to switch out like tomorrow. It was a really slow transition to glass. Mm -hmm. I think that using those containers and just keeping them away from heat is a really good way to reduce that leachate interaction or chemical interaction. If you're storing food in plastic in the fridge, I think you're safe for now. And then donate it when you're done with it. Really important to make it available to somebody who might not be able to afford brand new Tupperware. But yes, reducing plastic in the kitchen 
is number one. I would recommend bamboo. I have so much bamboo in my house (laughs) or wood, metal. I have gotten a lot of questions about silicone. Mm. Um, I really have a hard time forming an opinion on silicone. In grad school, I don't have a lot of time, so I have not had a lot of time to sit down and really look at silicone as a viable product. Yeah, no I've, deep dives. No deep dives yet. I've heard, just because I tend to avoid any sort of plasticky polymer. Yeah. Yeah, so I have heard that it is supposed to be more stable than something like high-density or low-density polyethylene, which is usually what your Tupperware are made out of. It's supposed to not be able to really leach all that much, if at all. But yeah, again, I am not 100% sure. What's an example of uh, silicone in the kitchen? Just uh, I'm thinking spatulas. Yeah, a lot of people have those spatulas. You know those really funny ones that you use for baking and you can clean yeah, out you like really scrape great. it. Yeah, yeah so that's silicone. A lot of silicone. those are okay. silicone and. It could be great. Maybe it is a part of the solution, so you mostly get glass and bamboo yeah. and metal, but for pans you don't want to scratch, maybe you get silicone. Yeah. I've considered doing that myself, but again, I just haven't had time to really Yeah, deep look dive. into it. In terms of silicone, I want to talk about, I listened to something else where they mentioned that another way that we do interact with plastics a lot is through our sex life. Yes. Um, Can I just say that that's brilliant? George brought this up in a talk on campus and I was like, oh my gosh, how have I never thought about that? That is such an amazing point. It's so true. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if you have sex toys, if you use lube, if you use condoms, a lot of that is made of plastic. Lube, that was the thing that shocked me, is that there's a lot of plastic in lube. Yeah. A good alternative, I was told, I, I wish I could remember what podcast this was, but uh, a good alternative. I wish al- you could too. Uh, I want to hear it. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes if I can find it. But a good alternative is coconut oil. I know coconut oil in itself maybe isn't the most sustainable thing in the whole wide world, but that's a good one. For the most part, that's vagina safe. So did not know that. Things won't get all weird down there. And if it does, you know, try to find something else. And then sex toys, like all the vibrators, gags, plugs, all those things, they are made of silicone mostly, but there are some bottom shelf <laughs> sex toys. <laughs> like I once bought this sex toy and I took it out of the packaging and it just smelled like silicone. Yeah, not plastic. even so. It was just yeah. like, yeah, it was like that plastic water bottle that got too hot. And yeah. then I, you like drink the water and you're like, I'm drinking plastic. And I keep it because I think it's kind of a funny toy. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, no, that's, that's not going to be used. Glass. Oh, yeah. Glass is a good... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a great alternative. I'm a really big fan of glass. Other than (laughs) glass breaking, I think that it's a really resilient, great material. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, putting it out there. A plug (laughs) for glass. (laughs) Maybe a plug for uh, glass... Plug? Yes. yes. (laughs) Butt plug for anybody who doesn't know what plug means. I love that. Um, (laughs) But think about that, especially if you're sticking anything inside of you or if you're putting like a gag or something in your mouth. Keep in mind what those things are. There are alternatives, whether it's leather, coconut oil, or glass. I think silicone is a good solution. I can't imagine there's anything wood out there, but we don't have to get into that. But so 
in the kitchen, you listed Tupperware, you listed spatulas and stuff. I imagine some people occasionally use plastic knives and forks when they go out to eat. As everyone is probably aware, you can get a utensil to take around with you. Yeah. You can spend $11 on a spork made out of bamboo, or you can just grab an extra fork and spoon and knife from home. Yeah, I actually have these really wonderful cotton reusable paper towels. Mm. So I just have found a way to wrap up silverware from home. I didn't even buy anything special. Yeah. They do have really cute... Tupperware or not Tupperware silverware sets yeah, out there. They are, are really cute. They work really quickly <laughs> and they come wrapped in really cute little packages. Like you can, yeah, they like carry them around. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I am too cheap for that, so <laughs> I just bring the silverware from my house wrapped up in one of those little cotton paper towels. Yeah, and I've learned how to wrap it up nice and cute. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you just take it home and wash it and. I don't know. I feel a lot better that way. Or if you're going out to eat, yeah. instead of getting a Tupperware container or a styrofoam container to take home because mm-hmm. those are awful and you never want to microwave your food in those. Yeah. Super easy to leach chemicals from styrofoam. A good solution to that is I had, you know, some of my old plastic Tupperwares when I got my new glass ones. Yeah. And I put them in my car. And they just, they live in my car so that if I am at a restaurant and I have leftovers, um, I'm usually like, hey, everyone, like, I'm just going to go grab my Tupperwares. I don't care about them. So people can take them home if they want. Yeah. And it's just a way to reduce it. it. Yeah. That way. Because then you're not using those Tupperware all the time. Yeah. But then you have They're my backups. And they still work. That's so smart. I will start doing that. Good suggestion for folks. Sometimes these sustainable, I'm doing air quotes. I don't know why. Sustainable (laughs) options do seem more like a upper class wealthy thing to do but like There's Macy tricks does and hacks out yeah home. and it in some cases it makes life a little cheaper yes. what i do a lot is i use bandanas i've just collected bandanas throughout my life yeah and those That's those smart. are my napkin everywhere i go and what i blow my nose in and uh, all the things you just carry them around it's yeah. more fashionable yeah like, everyone's wow, like oh cute you have a bandana yeah. um but that i guess that doesn't have to do with plastic but just reducing your waste in general yeah. but yeah you can reduce the silverware that you the plasticware i guess when you go out along with cups and water bottles you can bring your own mugs just leave a mug in your car and just make sure it's clean and same with a water bottle these are very easy solutions and then in the bigger picture going to the grocery store everyone knows you can get plastic or paper you can also bring your own bags i think we should just straight up stop using straws <laughs> yeah, i guess okay i am a huge fan of cutting out straws there's actually a lot of legislation around the country yeah talks about the plastic trifecta so that is your straws plastic bags and styrofoam containers those Mm. are all things that that's the trifecta yeah that you should be (laughs) able to eradicate in your municipality so you can regulate that grocery stores don't give out plastic bags and they do paper instead or you're supposed to bring your own or that instead of styrofoam a restaurant may bring or may give you like a recycled paper box yeah yeah and then straws straws really interesting eye-opening issue (laughs) we've really advocated to get rid of straws a lot of people have seen that video with the sea turtle yeah i think for the general public straws are something that we should get rid of but 
a caveat. At <laughs> restaurants, I do actually believe that plastic straws should be an option because a lot of people who are disabled use straws. Okay. However, there each. are straws that restaurants could have that are reusable. That are reusable. Yeah. So or paper straws. Paper straws might be a good alternative. I guess with plastic, sometimes people bite down on them yeah. really hard if you have muscle spasms and a plastic straw mm -hmm. is more resilient. So I think in some cases they're acceptable. Yeah. In the perfect world, we would have a restaurant that has a tiny little stash of plastic straws and then a bunch of reusable ones that they can mm -hmm. clean with a little pipe cleaner and then no straws and then maybe some maybe instead of the plastic straws paper straws depending on how yeah. well they work and then people request a straw and they can bring the metal one out yeah. and then be like if you need one this is a it. plastic one we have another one in case you need to bite down yes. or for any reason that would be very ideal <laughs> because so many people are so upset when you mentioned taking straws out of restaurants, but when you're at home, yeah, you never. Ninety percent of people don't put a straw into their morning <laughs> glass of water, so yeah. it's kind of a weird, funny issue. But yeah, try to catch your waiter or waitress, wait person before mm -hmm. they bring the straws out to the table. Yeah, stop them. <laughs> Another thing, generally, if you're getting takeout, you can be like, "Hey, I don't need napkins. I don't need spoons and forks." knives and forks. Don't put those in my takeout bag. I do not need those. I know some restaurants now are asking, they're like, do you want us to include these things? Yeah. Which is great. I think all restaurants, if you're in charge of a restaurant, you should... Listen <laughs> to this podcast. <laughs> or a coffee place. Okay, I'm going to give it to you in a, a mug unless you want it to go. Do you want it to go? Yeah. And incentivize. Get those styrofoam cups and then just sit in. Yeah. Yeah. They don't need the lids. They don't need the little sleeve thing. Sleeve. They don't need the straw. They don't need all those components. Maybe they need the cup, but if they're going to stay there, just get a mug. So yeah. there's a lot of ways, and I'm sure you've all heard it a million times Countless. of how to reduce, um, but maybe not in terms of your sex life. So you're welcome. That's a fun one. <laughs> The last thing that you had mentioned was clothes. Yeah. Clothes have a lot of plastic in them. Don't fall for the fast fashion, everyone. Have clothing swaps with your friends. Those are my favorite thing it's to so do. It's so fun, and you're bonding with people, and then mm -hmm. you're not wasting, and you're getting something you want instead of yeah. paying for it. It's just good things all around. And it's free, and then everything at the end, you can go donate or go to the DI. Like, reusing clothes... I think is absolutely fabulous. It's a cheaper option. Buying more durable clothes. Buying more durable. Patagonia is a really good example of yes. that. Or mending your clothes. I know not everybody has that skill, but I guarantee whatever town you live in, there's somebody who knows how to sew and they might be trying to make a living off of that. Mm -hmm. And I will never feel bad supporting somebody to darn a whole load of my socks yeah, or a fix point. a shirt to fit me the way that I actually want it to fit me so that I'll wear it more because then I'm not going to buy something new. Nothing's going to waste, and that person gets paid, of course, if you can afford, afford it. That. But I, I think, think that's, that's a good great. option that is often overlooked. 
Yeah. And just like rapid fire. Yeah. Plastic things to watch out for. <laughs> Plastic shower curtains. Get a cotton one. You can reuse it. Some mm. of them have a double button snap where you have the part that goes inside of the shower curtain on one side and then the rest of the shower curtain on the other side and you can take that out and clean it. So it's you can continuously yeah. use that even if it is kind of more of a polyester base. But that's another place where you have hot water. Yeah, hot I didn't think about that. Hitting your shower curtain. And that's another possibility for those chemicals to get around. Bathroom, good place to reduce. Get a bamboo toothbrush. Or even if you are really excited about plastic toothbrushes for some reason, <laughs> you can get the ones with like the reusable head and yeah. they're like electric and just use those over and over. So getting plastics out of the bathroom is another great place to evaluate, like, what do I have in here? Watching out if you're getting a new house and you're looking to get carpet, look at where that came from before. Is it brand new plastic? Was it possibly repurposed plastic? Hmm. Can we avoid plastic in our carpet altogether? There are a lot of very, like, modern we're going to change the carpet game kind of businesses out there. If I can think of any, I will send them along to Georgie. <laughs> but there are ways to like avoid plastic in that sense, in your bedroom, sheets. Wow, There's yeah. great mattresses without plastic. There's an alternative out there for everything. A lot of it comes down to whether or not you can afford it. And yep. it's just stuff to make changes to make over time. But it makes you look at everything when you research plastic. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do I have that I can change? And it's an everyday thing for me. <laughs> you listed off at least five things that I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah. I'm learning again. That's cool. um, well, that's great. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything that you wanted to close with? Anything else that you want to talk about in terms of microplastics? Yeah, pretty much. How do we fight the plastic problem might be a good way to close this out. Unfortunately, right now we have, let's say you have a bathtub and the faucet is running and you're trying to bail out that bathtub with a spoon and the faucet's still running and it's <laughs> overflowing, you're not really going to get anywhere if all you have is a spoon and the faucet's still running. So attacking, it's kind of the same way with plastics. You have to shut off that faucet. So attacking the people who make the plastics or supporting legislation against big oil, natural gas is a good way to fight the plastic problem. And that's kind of where we have to start. Yeah, There's stop not it a at lot the source. Stop it at the source. Because then if you shut off the faucet, even if you only have a spoon, you can kind of start to yeah. fill out that bathtub. And that is the same thing with the plastic industry. You have to start somewhere. And I think just reducing plastic from the store source, not buying it. Buying power is really big. Putting your money towards small businesses where it's worth something to somebody. Yeah. And like Hello maybe... Bulk. Shout yes! out to Hello Bulk. I love that episode. Jamaica, be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, there's so many different ways to fight the plastic problem. Mm -hmm. And it all kind of starts at the top. Mm -hmm. So That's a excellent point. I can't believe I was ready to close the episode <laughs> without that. We do often get told that it is our responsibility mm -hmm. to lessen the amount of plastic when really it's these big companies, whether it's like Nestle or Coca-Cola that are PepsiCo that are putting out plastics. They should be the ones that are responsible because they are the ones creating these things and create the world that we live in where using those is the easiest or the cheapest, the best advertised option. And just one more plug. I do work 
pretty closely with an organization called Beyond Plastics. Ooh. I took a class through them. They're based out of Bennington, Vermont. I am one of their volunteer speakers for their speakers organization. Oh, how cool. And it's been really great. I think that they have the right idea. They're on a mission to fight big oil, natural gas, the big plastic industries. So check out anything Beyond Plastics. They support the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act that was recently being acknowledged in D.C. So definitely check out their pages. They have a lot of science-based stuff and they are a really great group. Awesome. I'll link to them in the show notes. To wrap up, subscribe, follow, give me five stars or less if you think that's appropriate. But just just wait. I'm going to have more episodes and they get better as they go. I'm learning as I go. So, you know, give me five stars now and maybe I can live up to it. But <laughs> subscribe and rate. That's something I always fail to say at the end of every podcast. I do have an Instagram for long hair do carrots at Long Hair Do Care Podcast. I draw up images for every episode, which I think is the most delightful part for me these days, <laughs> is just to draw these with all my favorite pastel colors, and Very they're really fun. Done. Yeah, thank you. My Instagram does link to a link tree that has a list of all the places that my podcast is available. Finally, my podcast is available everywhere, with exception of Google Podcast, which that might change soon, but who listens to podcasts on Google Podcasts anyways? No <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to AJ for writing and producing the intro music that y'all always hear. And as my dad always says... Use your head and be clever. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks, Georgie.